Well, good morning, Living Hope. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've been counting, but today, April 19th, is the exact one-month anniversary of the beginning of the stay-at-home order. I hope you're keeping safe, and um, you, you've been thanking the Lord for the small things that he has been doing. You know, the thing that I'm thankful for is the ability to get a haircut. My wife I cut my hair this weekend. I'm, I was so happy for that. Um, you know, one of the things that's been happening during this global pandemic is that a lot of Christians have been uh, asking questions about their own faith, having doubts. But at the same time, non-Christians, and perhaps you're joining us this morning, and, and you normally don't go to church, but you're here today because you have questions about the Christian faith. And so what we're doing today is we're starting a, a brand new six-week series called Why We Believe. Not simply what we believe, but why. Why is it that Christians can have a hold on this thing called faith and how that can give us hope? Uh, but before I begin, I want to just frame things uh, in three ways. Number one, uh, I am a nerd by birth and by training. Um, I've always been more of a science math person than a humanities literature person. As I was growing up, one of my favorite TV shows was Star Trek, and my favorite character in that uh, series is Spock, uh, the, the Vulcan who is very logical. In fact, uh, the captain, Captain Kirk, used to bother me greatly. I always thought that Spock should be the captain. I studied computer engineering at, in college, and I worked as an aerospace and, um, in aerospace as a systems engineer. I've always kind of been um, like math, logic-oriented. And so even as I was growing up, when at church or uh, pastors would talk, uh, talk simply about just believe apart from reason and logic, that would bother me. And for me, my faith journey had to uh, go through the season of is it reasonable, is it logical, does it make sense? The second uh, framing that I want to do is this. Although we're going to try our best these next six weeks to give a reason for our faith, I don't believe it is possible to definitively prove the existence of the Christian God. I don't believe that we can go through a series and say, well, you have a complete intellectual evidence that God exists in the form that the Bible talks about, that Jesus is the Son of God who gave his life as a ransom for many, and, and that there is an eternal destiny for those who believe in him. I don't believe it is uh, possible to definitively prove that, but what we're going to say is that even those who don't believe it have to use a, a bit of uh, faith along with their logic and the reasons for the Christian faith is not only um, as much logical, but even more reasonable. And that is what we're going to try to do. And, and after all, what we eventually arrive at, we can't uh, idolize simply logic, but at the same time, God has given us our minds to be able to approach him, to love the Lord our God with all our minds. The third thing that I, uh, I want to frame is this that because we believe in this particular time that Christians as well as uh, non-Christians, those who normally come to church and those who normally don't come to church are tuning in, that for the next six weeks, we're gonna try our best 
uh, to speak to both audiences. And so, although most Sundays what we do is take a, a passage out of the Bible and try to just preach it or teach it, uh, during these next six weeks, we're going to not only teach the Bible, but talk about the Bible and why we believe. So I hope you can be patient with us. The question that I'm going to try to answer today is uh, the question that is perhaps the most troubling for those who are not of the Christian faith. When Christians claim that Jesus Christ is the only way, that sounds exclusive and tolerant and problematic. And so I'm going to tackle this problem by talking about the faith of the culture, the faith of the Christian, and the reason for the Christian faith. The faith of the culture. I, I want to talk about the, the context in which we're living in. Uh, one of my old seminary professors used to say that we are children of culture, meaning that we think more uh, and we are influenced more by our culture than we think. And the culture that we live in, although we may think that we are a a baby boomer, baby buster, a millennial Gen Z, or and now uh, coming up is uh, maybe the alpha generation. I think they're going to be redefined as the COVID-19 generation. That all of us, what we have in common is that we're part of this worldview called postmodernism. It is, um, it is this idea that comes from... Um, after modernism, modernism is this uh, enlightenment where we think that science and fact is everything, and we're beyond that in postmodernism. Postmodernism says a few things. Uh, one of the first things that it says is that truth is relative. That, um, in, especially in academic and um, secular circles, that the world, the dominant worldview is that truth is relative. You know, theists or those who believe in God have kind of lost the battle in those battlegrounds. The overarching view of the postmodernists is that reality is subjective and truth is whatever uh, the individual uh, defines it as. It means what is true is determined subjectively by each person and there is no such thing as objective, absolute truth that governs or applies to all of humanity in a universal way. For example, um, someone can believe that 90 degrees is a hot day or in and out double-double is delicious or that the corona coronavirus uh, is deadly. And we can believe that as an absolute fact, but the postmodernists would say, well, that's a relative. Those are relative statements, subjective propositions. So that someone from uh, India can counter that by saying 90 degrees is not hot. In and out or eating the flesh of a cows is not delicious. And uh, COVID-19 might be deadly, but poverty is even more deadly. And add to this was the thought that science believes in absolute truth until someone like Einstein would say that uh, space curves and time is relative. What all this has done is to call into question anyone who makes absolute truth statements. That they are seen as not as intellectual or modern and 
perhaps backward or even offensive. Another thing that uh, the, modern, uh, the postmodernists would say is not only is truth relative, but morality is relative. Um, you know, uh, in modern Western thought, religion is a matter of personal and private matter. There's no point in arguing uh, about uh, different people's religion because those are private things and really subject to uh, personal preferences. And there are no absolute moral or, uh, or religious concepts and things like good and evil or eternity is a matter of personal preferences. A religion can have a set of truths within that religion, but they should not be thrust upon others because uh, someone else can have a different set of truth that they choose to abide by. You know, going back to the example of the in and out, uh, the uh, Hindu from India may think that it is morally reprehensible or morally wrong for an American to enjoy an in and out double-double while an American may look at the Indian culture and find it reprehensible that the untouchables or the, those in the lowest caste are treated uh, with less dignity than cows roaming the streets. The enlightened person in this postmodern era would say that uh, each culture has its own set of moral and spiritual or religious beliefs and we just need to tolerate them and not pass judgment or thrust our opinions on them. You know, it used to be a long time ago that honor and the collective good was the highest virtue. At some point in time, that was replaced by love as the highest virtue. Now in our current culture, the highest virtue that people uh, look to is that of tolerance. That whether it be tolerance of other race, ethnicities, genders, uh, sexual preferences, uh, uh, gender fluidity, or, um, or other things, or even religion, that the highest virtue is, should, is the, the tolerance of people's differences. The only the only uh, absolute truth that the, the modern uh, thinking holds to is that intolerance is unacceptable. That anyone who holds to absolute morality or truth that is judgmental is rejected. That is the current culture and that is the faith that the modernist or the postmodernist holds. The faith of the Christian, on the other hand, has a, a set of dogmas or claims, and, um, and you can't help it because religion, by definition, is an attempt to give an answer to unanswerable questions that science uh, cannot answer. Questions about eternity or morality or the transcendence. It must make absolute statements, otherwise it's just opinions. You know, the scripture talks about a lot of uh, things. It, it makes a lot of claims, biblical Christianity or orthodox Christianity, but there are three claims that I just kind of want to zero in on that makes Christianity what it is. Uh, it's claims on uh, God, it's claims on humanity, and it's claims on Jesus Christ. 
its claims about God. You know, cultures uh, throughout history have uh, viewed the idea of God in several ways. A lot of Eastern philosophies or religions have viewed um, God as, uh, as everything. That there is no difference between uh, the creator and creation, but we are all a part of both. It's called pantheism or panentheism. Other cultures have thought that uh, there, are, there is a difference between creator and creation, but the creator is not one being, but multiple. And they sometimes blur in between. And that is called polytheism. And not only in ancient cultures, but there are cultures today that believe in many, many gods. Thirdly, in secular humanism, they do not believe that there is a God, that we are just simply creation, although there is no creator, that we are merely uh, uh, the byproduct of a cosmic accident, and there is no purpose uh, or thought behind it. And fourthly, uh, there is monotheism. There is a difference between creator and creation, but the creator is just one. And Christianity uh, with Judaism and Islam hold in common this idea. You know, when we open up the Bible, the first words that make propositional statements is about uh, the idea of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. John 1, 3 said, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. Unlike pantheism or panentheism, uh, in which uh, a lot of our Eastern cultures or philosophies are based upon, the Christian Bible claims that there is a distinct difference between creator and creation. He is the only one who simply existed. He would be called the primary mover or the first cause. And unlike polytheism, the Bible claims that the creator is not many, but one. Deuteronomy 6.4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Isaiah 45.21, there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a savior. There is none besides me. And the reason why monotheists have oftentimes been persecuted in the context of majority polytheistic nations and empires is because monotheists uh, are, uh, by definition, are exclusive. In Romans 1.25, they exchange, as, as uh, the Christian faith believes, uh, about those who worship other things. They exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creator, creature rather than the creator. The second uh, set of claims that the scripture makes is that about humanity. You know, theologians talk about the depravity of man, that human beings by nature are uh, predisposed to sin, and furthermore, they are incapable of becoming good enough to save themselves. Romans chapter 1, verses 10 through 12 as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all left turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even 
one. You know, all, all religions and even secular humanism believes that there is good and evil, good, love, or injustice. Yet, what is uniquely different about the Christian faith is that not only um, does, does a person uh, commit evil, commit sin, and hurt others, but they're incapable of, of becoming good enough to save themselves. You know, um, most people, like I said, believe that uh, there is evil or sickness, moral sickness in the world. But most people believe that others are sick while they are not. You know, it's interesting, when the COVID-19 kind of started, there was a, a kind of a global debate about the efficacy of masks. Uh, you know, certain Eastern uh, countries began using masks very early and uh, throughout the population while in America and throughout the Western world, they resisted for different reasons. We are told that, uh, that medical masks should be reserved for medical staff, and that's understandable, but homemade masks were not necessary because they would not sufficiently protect us, healthy people, from those who are sick. And so, listen carefully, masks were seen as a way of protecting us healthy people from those sick people. What has changed now is this, that masks should be worn not necessarily to protect us from sick people, but to protect others from us who may be sick, but we don't realize that we are sick. What the scripture says about us is, is this, that we may think we're asymptomatic, we may think that we are morally healthy, but we are not. And that we need to realize that we're sick spiritually. The third claim that the scripture makes is that about Jesus. And this is the one that perhaps most offends people. There's a big chasm between the creator God and a depraved man. And Orthodox Christianity says that there's no amount of effort that a person can uh, give in order to bridge that gap. The only way to be forgiven is by accepting and applying the sacrifice of the God-man Jesus Christ who gave his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ took off the robe of divinity, took on the robe of humanity, he, and then he paid the penalty of the crimes that you and I have committed. Jesus was clear that he is the only answer. John 14, 16, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 3, 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The Apostle Paul says uh, in Acts 4, 12, there is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Paul 
in 1 Timothy 2, 5, where there is, no God, there is one God and there is one mediator between men and God, the man Jesus Christ. The Apostle John, 1 John 5, 11 and 12, and this is a testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. There's absolutely no ambiguity in the Christian teaching from the founder, Jesus Christ, to the foundational apostles that people cannot save themselves and the only way to have eternal life, to be saved, to be reconnected to our creator God is through the mediator, Jesus Christ. You know, most people would like to think that, and, and a survey among millennials who attend church um, believe that one must simply be morally good. The Orthodox Christian teaching says we must be saved only by Jesus Christ. Now, having said all that, I, I want to quickly answer, uh, and for my final point, four questions that people have about the Christian faith, and is it reasonable? The first question is this, aren't Christians simply the children of their culture? After all, if we are children of the postmodern culture, don't people who grew up in Christian homes, whether it be in the deep south or let's say you're a Korean immigrant, you, you grew up in church, isn't your Christian faith simply a byproduct of your upbringing? As well as if someone grew, grows up in Pakistan to develop a uh, Muslim belief system. That is what the secular humanist would say. Those who grew up in a secular humanistic culture or environment and what we would say is this in defense, that that line of thought is just as uh, developmental than those who have grown up in the Christian background or the Muslim background. Just because we have grown up in a certain environment does not, make, uh, does not mean that what we believe and, and the set of uh, belief system is either right or wrong. Oftentimes, uh, those who are in secular academia like to believe that our logic is superior. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 through 24, Paul writes, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God, through wisdom it pleased God, through the folly of what we preach, to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block, to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. We need to be careful that we're not worshiping simply our logic and think that our secular environment, our secular upbringing is superior. The second question is, is what happens to those who, have, uh, who never have the opportunity or ability to believe Jesus? There are many billions who have never had the opportunity or ability to hear the gospel message, the Christian message, and to respond intellectually to him. You think about all those who lived and died before the birth of Jesus Christ. And the book of Romans speaks adamantly about how those who trusted in their own goodness or in religion cannot save themselves. But at the same time, Romans 4.3 talks about a particular individual, Abraham, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. 
Abraham, of course, never heard the gospel message, never heard the name Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, tells us that we are held accountable by what we know, and our conscience bears witness. Abraham was an example of a man who never heard the name of Jesus, but somehow was saved by the blood of Jesus. And there are also those who are unable to call upon the name of Jesus. In Romans 1, uh, it pictures a, a rebellious humanity, listen carefully, without excuse on the basis of the fact that they know and yet actively suppress the truth. An infant cannot suppress truth. Someone who is mentally disabled uh, cannot uh, know and suppress truth. And we believe that, that God judges them and, or deals with them in a merciful, different way. The, the Christian philosopher William Lake, uh, Lane Craig says this, this is not to say that people can be saved apart from Christ. Rather, it is to say that the benefits of Christ's atoning death could be applied to people without their conscious knowledge of Christ. Such persons would be similar to certain people mentioned in the Old Testament who had no conscious knowledge of Christ and were not even members of the covenant family of Israel, yet clearly enjoyed a personal relationship with God. Similarly, there could be modern-day Job's living among the that percentage of the world's population which has yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, not all theologians um, you know, view this in the same way, but I, I do want to uh, make clear that the scripture does talk about those who have never heard the name of Jesus, whom we will see in heaven, especially those in the Old Testament. The third question is this, doesn't the exclusivity uh, of Christianity make it wrong and even possibly dangerous. And I would agree with the skeptics that it can be dangerous. And the exclusivity and the arrogance of those who claim the name of Jesus have, um, have risen to do things such as the Spanish Inquisition, the Crusades, and religious wars even around the world today. But I, what I'm going to say may sound alarming, but I, I hope you, you would hear me out that the exclusive claims of, of religion or the Christian faith does not necessarily make it invalid or valid. Let me give you uh, an example. In 1971, there was a movie called The Omega Man. It was a movie about a global pandemic. Um, and almost everyone had, had caught this virus except one individual, his uh, Charlton Heston, uh, character uh, Neville. And what he realized was that from his blood, he can extract the serum that is necessary to cure people. Now, could, it, could someone say to Neville, you know, you're being arrogant and you're, you're dangerous. Well, truth is truth regardless of whether uh, it can lead to arrogance or not. But if, if you... If you kind of look at it in a different way, someone who has the truth and denies it because he doesn't want to be intolerant or judgmental could actually be dangerous because he's denying the truth. Listen, truth by nature differentiates itself from imposters. Truth is narrow in some ways. The problem is that oftentimes Christians have made the mistake of using the Christian faith to be proud and arrogant 
and being judgmental. Fourth question, doesn't the Christian message foster arrogance and judgmentalism? You know, most religions make propositional truths, claims, and their goal is some sort of a heaven or afterlife or an escape from the cycle of suffering. And Tim Keller calls most religions approach moral improvement if they just can become good enough according to their definition. They can achieve their goal or their end. And the result is that you would have these adherents, fanatics, who would feel good about themselves and who would despise those who are not good enough. But the gospel message, the Christian message, fundamentally is different. Tim Keller explains it this way. Christianity teaches the very opposite. In the Christian understanding, Jesus does not tell us how to live so that we can merit salvation. Rather, he comes to forgive and save us through his life and that in our place. God's grace does not come to people who morally outperform others, but to those who admit their failure to perform um, and who acknowledge her need for a savior. Christians then should expect to find non-believers who are much nicer, kinder, wiser, and better than they are. Why? Christian believers are not accepted by God because of their moral performance, wisdom, or virtue, but because of Christ's work on their behalf. Listen carefully. Christians are not arrogant and judgmental because they're Christians, but rather Christians are arrogant and judgmental because they're not Christian enough. They've taken up a cultural uh, Christian identity without having really embraced Christ and who he is. You know, this has been an incredibly difficult time for so many. As, uh, as our elder kind of prayed, talked about how people have lost their loved ones this past week and wrestling with how to do the funeral. People have lost their jobs and, and wondering how they can pay the bills. And I want to, to say to you that Christ matters, that, that he and what he claims to be is true. And I want you to journey with me. I'm gonna, um, I, I'm gonna ask you to do maybe a couple of th things. You know, um, on the website, go onto that particular page that talks about why we believe. We will put more resources there, including um, readings and uh, the, the book that we're kind of recommending for the series is Reason for God uh, by Tim Keller. And for every uh, message, there's a chapter that we would probably recommend that you read. And then feel free to ask questions. Whether you're watching on Facebook or YouTube or, or church online, um, reach out to the host or the moderator and say, I have these questions. Would you be willing to, to answer these in a chat or maybe a, a direct message? You know, Paul went to Athens um, some 2,000 years ago and he observed people who, who were searching, searching. And in Acts 17, verse 23, he says, For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And I'm here to say to you the Sunday after Easter, this is the message of Jesus Christ that we proclaim to you. Let me pray for all of us. Lord Jesus, we come before you. And you, you make such a, 
an exclusive, audacious claim. You tell us that we are separated from our Creator God, but that you have paid that penalty. If it's true, Lord, it could be incredibly good news. For those who are watching today who have never received and fully understood and embraced, I pray that you would continue to work in their hearts and minds. And for those who have, may you refresh us once again. We thank you. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.